Likutei Sichis, Chelek Yutes, Parshas Veschanan, Sicha Gimel. The laws of Bar Metzra, adjacent property ownership, are learned from Pasuk Yutches, verse 18, in chapter 6, Perak Vov, of this week's Torah portion. The Torah states in Pasuk Yutches, Vosisa Hayasha Vahatoiv Be'ene Hashem. Do what is right and just in God's eyes. The laws of Bar Metzra, taught in the Gemara Bavakama, and discussed in the laws of neighbors, Hilchas Shechenim, taught by Maimonides, state that if a person wants to sell a field that is adjacent to a field currently owned by someone else, that current owner, called the Bar Metzra, has the right to dismiss the potential buyer and buy the field due to the advantage of owning an adjacent field. The Gemara and Rambam, Maimonides, approach this law saying, that if one has already purchased this piece of adjacent land, in order to do what is right and just in God's eyes, the new owner is removed from the field, gives up that field, and hence we understand that the obligation of doing what is right and just is on the part of the purchaser, and it is his obligation to purchase a different field, a field elsewhere, as a different field would also suit him. As for the Barmetsra doing is what, what is right and just, it would be to now make that purchase of his, the field adjacent to his. Similarly, this is alluded to in the law in the Gemara in Bavakama, that when a non-Jew is the purchaser, the law of Barmetsra does not apply, as the Gentile is not bound by the verse, Hayasha Vahataiv, that you shall do what is good and right in the eyes of God. Yet, the halachic boundaries of the law of Bar Metzra can be explained via two approaches. One is that this is just about doing the right and just thing. There is nothing inherently wrong with the purchase of the field, but there is an obligation to behave rightly and justly, and therefore, accordingly, one should release the field to the Bar Metzra, the adjacent landowner. The second approach is that what doing that which is right and just reflects that the Bar Metzra, Bar Metzra actually has an organic connection and thus a level of ownership to this purchased field. Therefore, it is not only that giving the field up to the adjacent field owner speaks to an obligation of righteousness, or righteous behavior on the part of the purchaser, but there is some level of pre-ownership for the bar metzra. The difference in the two approaches is where in the first, the obligation of bar metzra falls in the purview of a good deed on the part of the purchaser, who, if he resists, is forced by Bastin to do this. And the second approach is as regarding the land acquisition. While the deed is still the right and just thing on the part of the purchaser, the based in facilitating the acquisition by releasing the land into the hands of the one who is the bar metzra, giving him the status of one who rightfully acquires this land, requiring the purchaser to walk away from the purchase. Accordingly, we deduce that there is in fact a disagreement between the Rishonim and this difference of opinion is highlighted in the deferring opinions of Rashi and the Rambam. In explaining the laws of Bar Metzra in the Gemara, Rashi says, 
It is right and just, quoting this verse in Torah, because there is no great loss for the purchaser who can find fields to purchase elsewhere, and he needn't trouble the adjacent landowner with his fields becoming separated. The law, in Rashi's opinion, is that it is as it impacts the purchaser. Maimonides, giving his reason, explains the law as, even when a person sells property which he owns to someone else, the owner of the property neighboring his has the right to pay the purchase price to the new buyer and remove this new buyer from his purchase. And this practice stems from the mitzvah in Chumash Dvarim in Veschanon that we read, Va'asisa hayasher v'hatoiv, and you shall do what is right and just. The sages said, as the sale is fundamentally the same, it's just and good that the property should become the acquisition of the neighbor instead of someone who lives farther away. In other words, according to Rashi, it's a hanagateva, an act of good faith on the part of the purchaser who won't really suffer any loss and he won't trouble the bar mitzvah this way. Rashi, in fact, points out later in, his in this discourse when we learn that regarding a Gentile, this law does not apply and he's not bound by that doing what's right and just isn't about the bar mitzvah, it's about the purchaser leaving a Gentile out of the equation completely. But Maimonides is of the opinion that it's not only fitting behavior on the part of the purchaser, an act of good faith towards the bar mitzvah, but that it is a general action that is right and just, primarily on the part of the bar mitzvah, the neighbor. As Maimonides teaches, the practice of the bar mitzvah purchasing the land comes from this verse, and our sages said, it's just and good for the property to be acquired by the bar mitzvah, by the neighboring landowner. The practice itself is just and good, and it is performed by the power of limited ownership given by the sages to the bar mitzvah of the fields involved. This, of course, explains the Rambam's opinion regarding land sold to a Gentile. The Rambam teaches that When one sells property to a Gentile, the seller is placed under a ban that ostracizes him until he accepts responsibility for any loss that the Gentile might cause his Jewish neighbors and until the Gentile purchaser agrees to conduct himself in relation to his neighbors according to Jewish law in all matters, in which Maimonides omits the reason that the Talmud gives, that the Gentile is not obligated in doing what is right and just in God's eyes as purchaser, and Maimonides actually adjusts this statement saying that the Gentile purchaser is obligated to conduct himself in regards to his neighbor according to Jewish law. For the law of the adjacent or neighboring fields isn't only for the purchaser who is told to conduct himself in a right and just manner. Frequently it has been mentioned that portions of Torah, and Torah law specifically, which appear disconnected from one another and to have no association, as parts of Torah achas, 
one single unified Torah can be, through deep study, found to in fact contain a common point, or perhaps a commonality in the foundation upon which the halacha is determined, as we do indeed discover in the different studies of Torah giants, particularly in the writings of the Ragachavar. Accordingly, we can suggest that the two explanations of the law of Bar Metzra are general categorization, each within the framework of its unique distinctions, whether the idea of neighbors creates an intrinsic connection between them, transforming the neighbor experience, in our discussion in relation to acquiring a field, or does the neighborliness remain an external experience only, and in our discussion translate as just common decency in one's behavior towards the other. This would make a difference in several aspects of the discussion around Olam, Shana, and Nefesh, space, time, and soul, or people. In terms of space, the impact is explained in the neighborliness aspect of the law of adjacent land. In terms of time, the neighbor experience is expressed in the Torah law of extending Chayl, the common weekday, into Kedush, the mundane into the holy, by accepting Yom Kippur a few minutes earlier, and so too Shabbos and Yom Tov, Shabbat and festivals, as per the different opinions regarding whether this is Torah law or rabbinic law. The moments before and the moments after Shabbos are neighboring moments to Shabbos, which too can be understood in two ways. Whether the proximity creates an intrinsic connection, thereby altering these preceding or following moments as they receive from the holiness of Shabbos, or this time itself is not altered and sanctified by the sanctity of Shabbos, but by virtue of its proximity to Shabbos. One busies themselves, therefore, with Shabbos preparations. And it's in connection to this that we can explain the dispute between the sages regarding whether this, regarding, excuse me, whether in this addition of time drawn into Shabbos, one can already make Kiddush for Shabbos. The opinion that determines that in this added time, one can indeed make Kiddush and eat a Shabbos meal, Consider this added time sanctified by its proximity to Shabbos and to a festival. Even though, according, even according to these opinions, what cannot make an early Kiddush on Passover nor eat the matzahs, as these two mitzvahs are associated directly with the eve of Passover, and the proximity of time cannot alter the added time and make it night. But then there are the opinions that determine that the addition is only an external proximity to Shabbos. And one can, in this added time, only refrain from work to mark its proximity and not treat it as sanctified time by fulfilling the mitzvahs of Shabbos. In the aspect of soul, nef- nefesh, or people, the Gemara in Mesecha Sukkah quotes the following brysa. The rabbis taught, it once happened with Miriam Basbilga, who came from a family of Kohanim, that she abandoned her religion and went to marry a Greek officer. When the Greeks subsequently entered the Beis Hamikdash, 
she kicked with her sandal against the Mizbeach, against the altar, and said, Lucus, Lucus, wolf, wolf, for how long will you deplete Jewish money and not stand by them in their poverty? When the Beis Hamikdash was finally restored and the Kohanim resumed their sacred service, the Avedah, the family of Bilga was penalized for Miriam's act of disrespect towards the altar. Normally, each Kohen family served in the Holy Temple for a week, once every 24 weeks. At the end of the week, the incoming and outgoing families would divine the, divide the lechem upon him, the showbread, between themselves. Usually, the incoming family would divide it in the north of the temple courtyard, while the outcoming, outgoing family would do so in the south. The Bilga family always had to divide their share of the lechem upon him on the southern side. Additionally, each family of Kohanim that served had its own ring affixed to the floor, in which the head of the animal was enclosed to hold it down during slaughter. Each family also had their own niche to store knives, like a shelf. The Bilga family's ring and niche were permanently closed, forcing them to borrow these needed items from other priestly family families, and because of this, they suffered great embarrassment. The Gemara presents another opinion as to why her family was degraded, and this was due to their apathetic approach to their rotation. When it was their turn to serve in the Beis Amigdash, the family behaved apathetically coming late, or perhaps as suggested by Rashash, not all of them came, and the next family was forced to work a double shift to make up for their absence. According to the second opinion, justice is served. If the family doesn't take the Beis Hamikdash service seriously, then they're not permitted to serve with honor. The Gemara, however, questions why, according to the first opinion, the entire family is punished for the poor behavior of one individual. The Gemara answers with a teaching in the name of Abaya, who says that a child's words are invariably opinions repeated from what he or she heard at home. Even so, asks the Gemara, should the entire family be punished because of Miriam's parents? Again, Abayah is quoted, this time teaching, Oyle Russia, Oyle Shechenei. Woe to a Russia, woe to an evil person, woe to his neighbor. The Gemara then concludes by quoting Abayah as teaching, it is goodly to the tzaddik, the righteous person, and to his neighbor as well. Concluding with a quote from Yeshaya from Isaiah, Imru tzaddik ki toiv, praise the righteous who are good, ki pri for they shall eat the fruit of their works. Rashi, at the conclusion of the Mesechta, finishes it with the following words, Mikan Amru Ayla Rasha Ailishhenai Umimela Taivlat Sadik Taivlishhenai from this teaching we state woe to the broken one or to the evil one, woe to his neighbor, and obviously then it is goodly for the righteous and goodly for his neighbor. Rashi concludes this with Mida Taiva Meruba for the righteous and a goodly character trait is greater and of greater value.
With Rashi's addition to the idea of Tevlet Sadik, Tevlet Shechenai, with the elucidation of the Mida Teva Maruba, that a good character is of greater value, we have evidence that Rashi does not reckon with the elucidation of Imrut Sadik Tev, praise the righteous who eat the fruits of their deeds, as the Gemara puts it, and in fact, this addition of the verse in Isaiah is actually omitted in several printings of the Talmud itself. Why is that? What is the actual difference between what the verse in Yeshaya adds, it's good for the righteous and for their neighbor, and how Rashi explains this with Mida Teva Meruba, with a, that a good character trait is greater. To understand this, we'll look more closely at the closed slaughtering ring and the closed niche of the Bilga family. As these are discussed in both explanations of Rashi and the Rambam. Rashi explains that the closed ring refers to the ring in the Azura where the animals were prepared. These rings had a mechanism that allowed one side to open and to encircle and hold still and lock in place the neck of the animal to be slaughtered. This ring was locked off to the Bilga family for use, and they were required to request of others use of their rings. The blocked niche or shelf is explained as a window. There were 24 such windows, which were for the 24 serving families of Kaihanim. These were in the base hachalifes, in the house of knives, the place where they stored their knives, and the niches were for the storage of the knives. And this was what was blocked off for the use of the Bilga family. So both the ring and the shelves were for purposes of shechita, of slaughter. The ring for holding down the animal, the shelf for storing the slaughtering knives. The Rambam explains in Pirush HaMishnayis the closed ring and blocked shelf as a ring hanging in the wall into which the leg of the animal was inserted after slaughter for skinning. And there were 22 shelves for storing the priestly garments, both of which the Bilga family could not access for their service. The difference between these two explanations is that according to Rashi, the penalty of the Bilga family impacted something that was relevant to women as well. Women and non-Kohanim were technically permitted to slaughter, and even if they were not permitted into the Azura, they could do so with a long blade. According to the Rambam, however, the penalty was not in items relevant to women, neither the skinning of the animals, which was done in the section women did not enter, nor the garments of the Kayan worn in the priestly service only performed by men, had relevance to women. What lies at the foundation of their disagreement is that according to Rashi, the family, those associated with Miriam Basbilga were penalized in their priestly service only in things that Miriam herself 
had an association with. She was the bad neighbor who impacted the rest of her neighbors just in proximity. Yet, the Rambam's opinion is that the penalty was imposed even on things she had no direct association with, thus more integrally impacting her neighbors or her family. Which takes us back to the general discussion of neighbors and the impact of a neighbor. And is neighborliness impacted in a significant and imminent and transformational way, or is it just an external experience and relationship? So according to Rashi, it's clear that neighborliness is impactful only in an external way and doesn't impact or change the neighbor as discussed read the field of the Bar Metzra. And Rashi's opinion that the impact and proper behavior is on the part of the purchaser and regarding the priestly service of the Bilga family and the blocked rings and shelf, the impact reflected the woman of the family who had disrespected the altar, altar who had a direct connection to these activities, and they were impacted just by association, an external relationship. According to the Rambam, the penalty and its impact was on them all, as it was reflected in things to which she had no actual connection. Thus, woe is to the neighbor who's affected in an intrinsic and integral way, and not just by proximity. The Rambam's opinion closely resembles his philosophy in the laws of personal development, where he posits that man is inclined to assume the opinions of his friends and acquaintances. Hence, this penalty and the shame it brought to the Bilga family was not limited to the externals, to the wayward individual Miriam Bas Bilga, but it's directly connected to the neighbors, her family in this case, who are too influenced in a negative way. Accordingly, the difference between learning that it's goodly to the righteous and to his neighbor is determined from the verse in Yeshaya, Praise the righteous man because he is good for the fruits of their deeds they shall eat, or learning it with learning it is good for the tzaddik and good for his neighbor from the opinion of Rashi's conclusion, a good character trait is great or greater, can be explored and understood. Imrut Sadiq say the righteous one is good, is a verse that begins in singular form. Its conclusion, they will eat the fruits of the work of their works, is plural, telling us that the neighbors of the Sadiq are impacted. It's the wording prima'alalehem, the fruit of their works, that leaves us wondering. Shouldn't it say the fruit of his, the tzaddik's works, his good deeds? But in fact, this is the Gemara's intentional lesson, that a good neighbor transforms his neighbors, impacting them so that it is the fruit 
of their own good actions that they benefit from. They are impacted and transformed by the tzaddik who is their neighbor. Clearly, then, according to Rashi's opinion, that the proximity to a neighbor does not affect the essence of the neighbor, it's only an external relationship, in Rashi's opinion, this verse cannot be brought as proof. And so Rashi quotes Mida Toiva Maruba, a good deal is great, as proof to the idea that Toivla Tzadik, If proximity to a bad neighbor is negatively impactful, of course, and how much more so, is proximity to a Tzadik beneficial? What remains unclear, however, is Rashi's emphasis Supporting the idea of tzaddik, with these words, after all, the assertion that the good neighbor, the tzaddik, versus, and the impact of his neighbor, versus the bad, the bad neighbor impact, negatively impacting his neighbor would too serve a sufficient commentary. It's enough to say that if we look at one versus the other, clearly the one is good or better. We can clarify this looking at the penalty upon the priestly service of the Bulga family. The service was not taken away from them, not even in part. Rather, aspects of the service were penalized in a way that brought shame to them in their service. This fits the idea of as an external impact and effect only. Indeed, the suffering of consequence of a Jew's actions do not have an internal impact. As our sages teach in Sanhedrin, that one can always atone for his wrongdoing with confession and one will not be troubled in the world to come. When a Jew behaves in a way that negates God's will, his actions are always only extended to his, excuse me, are only external to his essential self. And so the consequence and punishment too is temporary and external only. But toivle tzaddik, toivle it's goodly for the tzaddik, thus for his neighbor, is a permanent and even eternal good, impacting the essence of the person. So the two are really not comparable and cannot be quoted as comparable or equal. Hence, Rashi continues with the words, Mida Toiva Maruba, telling us that the Toiv of a tzaddik is an integral and intrinsic, intrinsically impactful experience. Within Eile Rasha, Eile Shechenai, and Toiv L'Tzadik V'Toiv L'Shechenai, there is an allusion to the relationship of neighbors that mentioned in the law of Bar Metzra, the neighboring landowner, that is mentioned in the laws of Bar Metzra, the neighboring landowner, and Toisvis Shabbos V'Yomtev, the additional time added to Shabbos, or a holiday, and its nature, and the nature of its proximity. In man's divine service, oil Russia, oil woe to the Russia and woe to his neighbor, is highlighted in the oil, the woe, 
a word which denotes pain, like the oi that escapes our lips in moments of pain or anguish. In one service of repentance, the oi is an ex- exclamation of tshuva that accomplishes the shattering of the density of evil. Oi Rasha is a breaking the bad, like the service of sur meirah, removing oneself from bad via the soul embittered over its distance from God. Toiv Lutzadik, then, is the Aveda, the service of Asei Toiv, doing good, which is the soul's expression of joy. When the service is expressed in both ways, Sur Meirah and Asei Toiv, then one's neighbor, too, is impacted by his Sur Meirah, and it's a Toiv L'Shchenai experience a benefit for the neighbor translating into an ase tev for one's neighbor. At a general level, these are the two experiences of our metzra and the addition of the time near Shabbos or festivals. The law of bar metzra causes a person to behave against his nature to give up his newly purchased land so as to not cause difficulty or loss for another, in line with the experience of Sur Meirah. The land issue isn't an issue about holy things specifically. It's a discussion regarding a field, that which is referred to in halacha as rishus, what is permitted, but not a holy discussion per se. And the service in the dimension in this discussion is in the domain of staying away from the negative sur meirah. The discussion of Taisvis Shabbos v'yamtiv, adding moments to a Shabbos or a festival, is an issue of asitayv, doing good, adding holiness in this world. Accordingly, this second explanation of Oyla Rasha, in the Megala Amukais, written by Reb Nasan a Makubal who lived in Poland in the late 1500s, the early 1600s, we learned that Elul is an acronym for Oyla Russia, Oyla through the tshuva, the repentance in the month of Elul, breaking the bad in this month of mercy, one affects one's neighbor. The adjacent month of Av, the Zayar teaches that there are months, the, there are months of Yaakov Avinu, and these are three months, the months of Nisan, Iyar, and Sivan. And these are months of holiness. If there are three months of Yaakov, there should be three months of the, en- of the energy of Esav. But there are actually only two, Tammuz and Av, and not Elul. And in fact, in Av, only the first nine days are of the energy of Esav. According to the Zohar, then, of and Elul are actually quite different. Hence, Eila Rasha symbolizes Elul, breaking the evil at its core, refusing it access and hold. Esav has no hold in Elul whatsoever. And Eila Shechenoi, the month of Av too, does not even belong fully to Esav, and the energy of evil from the ninth of Av onwards is no longer Esav's, to the extent that the Karbanasanel 
commenting on this Zayar teaches that a court case with a Gentile that must be held in of and cannot be avoided in that month should not be held in the first nine days, but can be held after the ninth of of. But the primary task of breaking the bed is that it seems to bring, it serves, excuse me, to bring one to the good and to adding good, to the asetoiv experience of adding light. This is the menachem, the comfort in the month of Av, when each day of the nine days breaks the bed, it becomes a month of comfort, extending into the days following the ninth of Av, when the comfort is doubled, Hashem comforts the nation, Nachamu, Nachamu, Ami, and we comfort God, Anoichi, Anoichi, Hu Minachenchem, a dual expression, expression of comfort and solace. This takes us into the month of mercy, the month of Elul, when the 13 attributes of mercy are drawn from a transcendent plane into our reality initiating a ksiva v'chasima teva on Rosh Hashanah when all are written, inscribed and sealed in the book of the completely righteous.